as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Brownsville Public Utility was in the news earlier this week. Their trigger point seems to be 25% the U.S. ownership at the watershed. We go below that. They start putting in some restrictions on water use by customers. I wonder if that's the case for other uh, public utilities. But let's let's talk to somebody who's keeping a look, uh, keeping an eye on those watershed numbers. Sonny Hinojosa is the GM over the Hidalgo County Irrigation District number two. At last check, Sonny, where were we at the watershed? The U.S. ownership, as of the last official report we received from the International Bounty of Water Commission, U.S., and this is July 2nd, we were at 25.37%. Of course, these reports are two weeks behind. So uh, we did not receive a report on Friday. Evidently, there's a disagreement between the IBWC and SELA on reconciling some numbers. But we have got to be well below that 25% ownership. I would expect, because we're losing about a percent a week, oh. 1 to 1.5%. Oh, oh man. So we, we're probably between 22 and 23% ownership right now. Oh, my goodness. That's scary. That, why are we losing so much in middle summer? Is that evapor- evaporation? What's going on? Yeah, a lot of evaporation, operational losses, uh, and, and we're dry here in the valley. Uh, we're still we're still irrigating cotton. Uh, once cotton is done with, hopefully things will slow down. Uh, but then, you know, next we have our vegetable season, so that'll start up in August. Uh, so really, there's no reprieve until we get a good rainfall event. So if we're two weeks behind, and we are losing. A digit every single week, muscle menos. We're probably what twenty three percent. That's your best guess. I would suspect anywhere between twenty two and twenty three percent ownership. That's falling really fast, Sunny. In a whole, it would be below eight hundred thousand acre feet ownership. General Manager, Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number Two, Sunny Inojosa, our guest. Yes, Sonny, Tim Sullivan here. Do you know then what that means? We've heard from the Brownsville Public Utilities Board that they will move into stage two uh, water conservation measures, which means uh, several mandatory measures that uh, residents and businesses will need to take. take. Uh, what about other public utilities in the Valley? Are, would they be in the same position or is it just up to them to decide? I would suspect uh, they would have the same trigger points as Brownsville PUB. And, and probably no one's gonna act until we get an official report. And Mexico, is in a very similar situation, in a similar yes, dire situation as well, They're, right? They are very dry as well. Does it make a Does difference, make, Sonny? I'm sorry. When cities start cutting back on, I don't know, you know, watering lawns and things like that, does it truly make a difference in stopping that? Yes, it the, does. It does? Okay. It makes a big difference. You know, right now, agriculture is a residual user, you know, in, in, in this Amistad Falcon Reservoir System. 
and the municipalities have their water assured. Their their reserve is filled every month. So the the less water that municipalities use, the less water is needed from inflows to recoup that loss. So yes, it, it's definitely a huge help if the municipalities enter into you know a, a steeper conservation mode. We're nervously watching the numbers. Then, look, if we're losing a digit on the percentage on a weekly basis, and we're two weeks behind, and we might be at 22 or 23% U.S. ownership, and the forecast says we're going to be bone dry for at least the next two to four weeks, we're going to be into the teens as far as U.S. ownership. I mean, by that time, maybe by mid-August, unless we get some tropical system, and we're praying for some rain, maybe not over the valley, but just, you know, over the, the watershed, there's going to be all sorts of bells and whistles and alarms sounding here pretty soon from the city. Yes, that's true. You know, the sad part is that, you know, looking at the 90-day uh, seasonal outlook, uh, even though we have an equal chance of, of precipitation here in the in the lower Rio Grande Valley, the basin remains drier than normal until next year, until January or February of next year. So, yeah, things should not look good at all. Sonny, when, when the cities cut back on watering lawns and put restrictions, by how much does that slow the decrease? What is it? The majority, of, the majority of the use is is irrigation, and the big users are the irrigation districts, of course. And uh, many of us are already have been on, on restriction or what we call allocation okay. for over a year now. So as as the supply diminishes, uh, there's less water available for use. So. Uh, once I, once the you know cotton is through, you know we still have our perennial crops of sugarcane and citrus. Uh, that's going to continue, but it, it won't be as much as as we're using now. I mean, right now we're still using or we're losing, you know, thirty three thousand, thirty four thousand acre feet uh, every week, uh, and that should slow down. Uh, norm- we missed our June rains. Normally we have a, a significant rain event in June, and we didn't get it this year. So, you know, we still had to finish out, you know, corn. Uh, now corn is through. We still have just cotton left. And then, of course, like I said, sugarcane and, and citrus will continue. And then we, we're already getting ready for our fall crops, hmm. you know, for our vegetables. Hmm. So there's no reprieve from usage until we get a rain event. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. We did miss the June rains, and I recall in past Junes, they've been very torrential, flooding rains, 18, 19, yeah. and um, I think uh, last year was it either 20 or 21 or both. Mm-hmm. I mean, they caused a lot of damage and a lot of flooding, but apparently they're, that, that's what's needed for, for agriculture. Yes, that's correct. Right. We'll see what happens, Sonny. Um, dry forecast and the watershed going down pretty fast right now. That's Sonny Inojosa with one of our irrigation districts here in Hidalgo County.
You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. To running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it, it's free. Leadership across the valley, folks in industry or specifically farming, also at the city. Folks in leadership watching the water reservoir numbers, taking a nosedive right now. We've likely crossed the 25% mark, and actually behind the scenes, lot the talk is that because these numbers lag, we might be at 22%, maybe going faster towards 20% U.S. ownership at the watershed. And Mark Vega is GM over at McAllen Public Utilities, and I bring him into the program because I was speaking with him off air a couple of days back, asking what the trigger might be for McAllen imposing some some water restrictions. Mark, we appreciate your time. So from your perspective, where do you think we are as far as U.S. ownership at the watershed? Well, good morning, Sergio. Um, so where we're at right now is still above 25%. I heard your your I was listening to your radio show yesterday and I know that you had Sonny on from irrigation district number two, Sonny Nojosa. Um and he's right. So the latest reports that we got, matter of fact, we got a, we just received another report yesterday morning and still above twenty five percent ownership. Uh however I know that he mentioned as well that that's a two week old uh almost a three week uh report so we probably will be getting another an update i would say early next week maybe monday or tuesday um and that might tell a different story it may i know that uh you know i was looking at the radar yesterday and there was some rain out in monterrey yesterday some heavy cells and right over their reservoir which is fantastic because they need it they really really need it up there they're in a serious serious situation um, but that's where we need the rain is up in the watershed, up in the Del Rio area. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where we're holding right now. We're losing uh, like one digit weekly right right now because of usage and evaporation. Right. So uh, if it's a two week lag, we might be at 23 percent unofficially about 23 percent. So what is the trigger for McAllen where y'all at PUB and over City Hall look at, at the number and say this is it that we need to put. We need to impose some water restrictions. No more, you know, watering the lawn, things like that. Yeah, well, those are those are serious discussions that we're going to have here at our next board meeting because everybody has different triggers. You know, I'll give you an example. Hardingen has a trigger at 15% for their stage two. Um, another district right down the road, a good friend of mine at East Rio Hondo uh, district, they don't go to stage two until there's push water. Uh, so everybody has different. What, what does that mean? They, what is it? Push water. What does that mean, Mark? Well, push water is, is simply the uh, when the, those districts 
don't order enough water, let's say, for, for uh, agricultural purposes. The cities really kind of piggyback on the orders for agricultural water because that's the vast majority of the water that's used. Uh, I say vast majority. Uh, municipal water is about 20% of the water that's used uh, here in the valley. 80% is agricultural. So when the agricultural orders, uh, or they're not delivering to farmers, they've got to push a lot more water to get that water to the municipalities because okay. they're, not kind of, they're not piggybacking, so to speak, on the agricultural water. And so that's when they'll go on stage two. So everybody's got different triggers because they affect different things. I'll, I'll just tell you quickly, you know, I've got a, a home in North McAllen, and the grass on my grass is struggling right now at three days watering a week. And so, uh, and it's not just about grass. There's several other things at play. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about conservation stages, there's golf courses and uh, yes. you know, washing cars, yeah. all kinds of things, yeah. uh, selling water. Um, I know that uh, Monterrey is very interested in bringing tanker trucks over here. They have no water, uh, and they're, they're in big, big trouble. They're actually, you know, I, we have family in Monterrey, uh, my wife's family. They came to visit us last week, and, and they put a truck out there and discharged water so people can shower out there in the street. Oof, and and that's, it, that's crazy. That serious and that critical. Yeah. So we have to be very, very aware of how this affects us. You know, we know where they're at right now. We know where we're at right now. We're 20%. That's a fifth of the reservoir level that we've got, or above a yeah. fifth, uh, tw- above yes, 20% up, at the reservoir levels. 10-4. So we know we've got water uh, for the time being and into the near future, and that's a good place to be considering the circumstances because, like I said, right yeah. across the border, they it's don't e- have any. It's even worse. So yeah. It, 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 oh, it's way worse. Yeah. It's way worse. Our general manager for McAllen Public Utilities is Mark Vega. Yeah, and Mark Tim Sullivan here. So what are the uh, various levels of water restrictions in McAllen for residents and businesses, both voluntary and mandatory? What are the different stages? Well, they're stage one through, uh, through five. And so those stages... Um, dictate they dictate several restrictions right so we mm-hmm. think you know the, the the first one is not not so uh punitive it's it's you water twice a week right uh if you have an automatic sprinkler system and then they're more uh, they're stricter from there is mccallan uh, in two, stage one four, right five. now uh so stage one that's where everybody's always at that's just voluntary ah, okay so there is no you know there's no restrictions on stage one and stage two is where you divide up the city into zones. And usually there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six zones in McAllen. Uh, McAllen is long and narrow. We divide it into six zones. And then we say you can water twice a week. You can irrigate your, your with, it, with an automatic irrigation system twice a week. And it has to be between certain hours. Uh, golf courses are affected. They can't use water. Ours, uh, thank God, can because ours is irrigated with our recycled water. So our, our uh, municipal golf course here in McAllen utilizes our, our wastewater effluent that we recycle, and they utilize that. So they're unaffected, but other communities will not be if they don't use recycled water like we do here. Um, and so uh, there are several types of, of uh, things, like washing your vehicles outside, things like that. Oh, my goodness, uh, all those businesses. And mm-hmm. stricter from there. Uh, stage 3 reduces... Um, water usage even more yeah 
And so every stage is intended to reduce uh, water consumption by a certain percent. And that's that's the goal. I said all those businesses. Over the past two, three years, I've seen all sorts of car wash businesses pop up everywhere. Those oh, they're people, all over the place. They're now, everywhere, right? Sudden. Everywhere. Yeah. But I bet those folks are watching the numbers real nervous right now. Uh, at what point would the car wash people be affected? Stage three or what? What What are they looking well, at? Leave that stage three schedule, so that wouldn't be, you know, be, let's say that we got, if we, if we chose 20% in stage two, then likely 15% would be stage three, and that's where you start seeing some more restrictions. Um, uh, stage four can possibly be, you know, you can't water your vegetation at all. People love yeah, to, totally. especially the elderly, you know, the folks on fixed income, they've got their little plants outside yeah. and they want to water their plants, uh, you know, that would be a serious, that's where we get to stage four and stage five is, you know, that's it. We yeah, we need some rain. Time. We need some rain like bad, <laughs> like now. Uh, dropping a yep. digit every week, yeah, that would mean we're only um, maybe two weeks from 20, uh, seven weeks from 15. So unless yeah. we get some rain, uh, yeah, and yeah, pretty bad news. Be, yeah, go ahead, A lot sir. of people, a lot of, just like you said, we need rain actually we need rain up in the watershed it makes no it doesn't impact us at all we can't store water down here so we need rain either north you know in the big bend area that flows into lake amistad or between amistad and falcon that's where we need the rain when you're you know when you're talking about like eagle pass that those areas there and most of the watersheds in mexico it's not even in, in the u.s most of our watershed is in mexico and that's what flows into the reservoir so we need rain up there. Yeah, a lot of folks would love to see rain down here and water their, you know, yeah. get their grass green. we got to fill the tank but for really, yeah. we good, need rain where that it can be stored. What's the next meeting for PUP, Mark? When you guys meet next? We're meeting uh, next Tuesday. Very well. Mark, thank you for the update. Appreciate your insight. General Manager for McAllen Public Utilities, Mark Vega. Your Houston Astros play here. And he drives this one up the middle. That's a base hit. Catch Astros baseball action all season long on News Talk 710-KURV. Deep to left field. Kiss it goodbye. Every hit. Every home run. First pitch and he drives it. Left field. Good one. It's out of here. Astros baseball is powered by F&T Valley Motorsports, Riverside Development Services, Taco Olay, MissionIncredible.com, and News Talk 710-KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. In the event there's a tropical system in the Gulf of Mexico churning this way, you want to keep it tuned to 710-KURV. Stay informed during hurricane season. Tropical coverage 2022 on air and online at KURV.com. Made possible by Mike's Plumbing, Electrical, and AC, Vega Roofing, McAfee Insurance, and Elephant Building Materials. Securities on campuses on the minds of many people today as we hear that the uh, there's a Texas House committee that provided a report on what happened in Uvalde. Some of the words that they used, poor decision-making, systemic failures. And as we speak, school security this Monday morning, uh, let me bring in our superintendent for Edinburgh Consolidated Independent School District, Dr. Mario Salinas. 
Pepsi Salinas, welcome back. We've talked plenty about security before, and I appreciate all the many conversations you, you've given us through the months. Give a quick recap, Dr. Salinas, as far as some of the improvements that you all have made in Edinburgh over the past year or so. Okay, uh, Sergio, we, we, uh, the school district, uh, one of the more significant uh, acts that we've done is uh, back in, in, in 2012 with Sandy Hook, uh, the district, uh, the board decided to, to place police officers on every elementary campus. We had them at the high school and at the middle school, but uh, since, Sandy, since Sandy Hook, the district has placed police officers on every campus. That's significant. Um, uh, I think we probably one of the first districts in the state of Texas to do to have police officers on all campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the district uh, opted to, to do that. And then since about 2015, we, we have invested the district um, upwards of $10 million in, in hardening our schools. In phases, you know, we have 40, 43 schools. So we started um, hardening our elementary schools first. It took us two years to do all the elementary schools. Uh, by, by hardening, I mean by uh, uh, securing the, the, the facility. Uh, if visitors want to go into the to the school. You have to be buzzed in through the office to through a vestibule, and then from there, they the office staff uh, run run your ID through through a computer system to to make sure that 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 you're okay to come into the building, at which point they let you in, into the building. So we did that. Uh, it took us about two years to do our elementaries. We have 31 elementary schools, and it was quite a bit of work. And then we moved on to the to the, to the the middle high middle schools and into the high schools. Um, and then um, in the last three years, we've been fencing our, our facilities. We just finished our last of our schools last year uh, with motorized gates and fences to to – to harden our schools, um, that the board's been very adamant that that safety is, is is a priority, and we spend and we walk the walk. We spend dollars, millions of dollars, mm-hmm. um, in 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 ensuring. And we can't. It's not hundred percent right, but, but we have police, we have hardened schools, we have gate systems, and as best as we can keep our our school safe, we, we're we've invested the money. You got one police officer for every campus. How big is your police force? And if somebody gets sick, Dr. Salinas, who provides backup? Do we get a city cop to go walk the halls, or how does that work? No, we, we our police number, uh, we number 90 armed officers. Okay. Uh, we have canine officers. We have officers that, that work at at the central. When, when somebody's out <laughs> at one of these schools, let's say elementary, because elementary schools, there's one officer per, per school. We send in a canine officer. Uh, or, or one of the officers assigned to, to, to let's say, an intake officer at, at the at the police central. So that's that's how we cover cover uh, absences at the middle and high. We have multiple officers to to cover, and security staff. Yeah. In addition, we have security staff. Dr. Mario Salinas, superintendent of Edinburgh CISD. Yeah, Dr. Salinas, Tim Sullivan here. Just you know, to the best of your knowledge. Um, because you have spent so much money and done so much to harden the schools, as you say. Are school staffers complying with all of these hardening and security measures? And I ask because we see in this Texas House Committee report that was released yesterday uh, in Uvalde, 
teachers and you know other staffers appeared to have gotten a little lazy on that. The report talks about doors being propped propped open mm-hmm. quite often, and uh, the teacher in the fourth grade classroom that the gunman got into, he had reported that there was um, a malfunctioning lock on the classroom door. He had reported that, but it didn't apparently didn't get any further than that. So I'm just wondering. Where, how do you think your your teachers and staffers are doing in that regard? Well, <clears throat> the the state of Texas requires that that the district that each campus conduct uh, 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 drills, uh, active shooter drills, fire drills, other types of drills. It, it's required by the state, and we submit those those documentation. Um, I can't I can't say that that we're that our all our our staff is in compliance, but what we do have. Um, what we do have is is police on campus, and one of the roles is to check the perimeter doors uh, uh, of, of all our, our schools. Part of the hardening of our schools is is strengthening our, our doors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if, if if a child, especially at the elementary school, opens a door, there's an alarm that goes off um, at the elementary level. Uh, so there's redundancy with that, especially in light of the fact that we have a staff. To, that is not assigned to a classroom, that their sole responsibility is safety on campus. And one of the roles is to, to secure the facility, the perimeter fencing, the perimeter doors, et cetera. So, and I'm not, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna say that, that, that uh, we don't have laps uh, in, in, in diligence, but, but we, we do drills and, and we do have staff that strictly their jobs is school security. Yeah. And that that separates us from what happened at Uvalde. We have staff actually assigned for that type of work. Have you had a visit yet, or are you still expecting a visit from these folks? I, I believe they're from TEA uh, that are a part of That's, Governor Abbott's directive Texas. to inspect every single campus in Texas for security deficiencies. And again, I think the focus is going to be on exterior doors things like that yes we, we expect a visit we haven't yet my understanding from the from the uh, memorandums coming out of ta is that uh, expect visits uh, uh beginning in september okay and so we we are preparing for that um we we've had multiple meetings uh with this this tragedy that happened in while the 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 community expects us to be hyper vigilant and we are and we're planning and and uh, we welcome the visit from the texas uh safety center to, to see where is it that we need to improve i know that we've invested significant dollars uh in in security <clears throat> uh not and i'm not even talking about the police force i'm just talking security uh fences uh securing the facility etc um but uh, in, in 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 looking at at some of the messaging coming out of TA, there's going to be significant uh, monies in in the form of grants to help districts to 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 do the things that that we're doing, and we intend to to, to okay. add more to what we already have. So the additional funding, Doctor Salinas, is likely going to ramp up on the subject that Tim was touching on, which is staffers and employees training for I them. I would imagine. Right, increasing yes, the would, cadence of that and, would, and the emphasis of that. Right, I would imagine that they're going to be grants for for school district to hire uh, police. They're going to be grants for school district to, to to 
implement fencing strategies, uh, hardening the schools. I'd imagine training, staffing, um, monies for training, etc. Yes, and I anticipate significant dollars coming coming down from from DEA uh, through this legislature. Thank you, Dr. Salinas, for the update. That's Dr. Mario Salinas from Edinburgh CISD. KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Some of the health news of the day, those cases of COVID, keep, they keep increasing. And what is that doing to local medical providers, hospitals? Let's get a weekly update. Our Cameron County Health Authority, Dr. James Castillo, joining us. Dr. James, hospitalizations up or down this week? What, what's the trend? So hospitalizations have been trending up uh, since the first week of the month, probably by about 30, 40 percent. Um, what has not been going up in the hospitals is the percentage of people in the ICU Excellent. or the number of beds in the ICU with COVID. So uh, it looks very different in the hospitals this wave versus, you know, the Delta wave or the Omicron, the last Omicron wave. The last wave. When was that, James? Back in December? When was it that we saw the last big push at the hospitals? Yeah. Yeah, that was towards the end of uh, December into January. Okay, and back then we had ballpark figure that you recall in the Valley, Cameron and Hidalgo County, if you remember, how many hospital beds were we taking up back then, and how many do we have right now? Uh, back then it was a few hundred, but uh, if you looked at what those patients looked like, a lot of them were on you know high flow oxygen, the percentage of uh, ICU beds taken up by COVID patients on that last Omicron surge went up to almost like 50%. So like half of the critical care beds were with COVID patients. This time, it, it's um, probably more about 5% or 4%. That's good. That's, That's a pretty good. different picture. Dr. James Castile, Cameron County Health Authority, our guest. Dr. Castillo, Tim Solomon here. What has changed, if anything, in in the hospital treatments for, for patients that make make it so that more patients are not going on ventilators and are coming out of the hospital in better shape? Or is it the difference in the, various, in, in the virus variants that are allowing people to, to recover more, more quickly? It's probably different in the variant uh, and also the immunity. So this time around, I mean, we've been through so many surges, we've had lots of vaccines, we've had boosters, um, you know, so this time around, it's probably a combination between uh, the different uh, variant plus prior infection plus immunity that's, uh, that's resulting in a different picture in the hospitals. Uh, it's not to say that you can't end up on a ventilator or on oxygen or get pneumonia from this. 
it's just much more uncommon. And the patients who are getting that uh, typically do have uh, quite a few other medical problems that's, um, you know, that COVID comes along and tips them over the edge yeah. uh, versus versus being, you know, an otherwise healthy, you know, 30 or 40 year old getting COVID and ending up on a ventilator. So what's the deal with these new Omicron subvariants? Hmm. I guess that uh, that they're able to skirt um, immunity and vaccinations. Yeah, that's the evolution of the virus. It's, you know, survival of the fittest. So if um, you know the virus keeps mutating and eventually it's going to want to figure out a way to keep infecting people. Well, at this point to do that, it's got to figure out a way to get around the immune system because so many people have been either with infection in the past or vaccinated um, that the mutant that gets selected for is the one that can skirt around that. Um, you know, but thankfully what seems to change is the type of illness it causes. Uh, so, you know, if you've never seen this before, if you've never been vaccinated before, um, then you could be at risk as if, um, you know, we're back in the very beginning of this, but there's very few people uh, left who, who still are like that. So the virus just keeps, uh, you know, evolving to keep causing infections and it gets more contagious. Uh, but it seems to be that at this point it's causing less severe illness, uh, but it's certainly spreading uh, very, very dramatically. Yeah. So I just got my, recently got my second booster because, um, because I'm eligible. Uh, but not everyone is yet. Um, why is that, and, and when when do you think that'll happen? It's really about the utility of it. So the question is, does the second booster for somebody who is, quote, not eligible, in other words, you're under 50, you don't have chronic medical problems, the question is, do you really need it? Is it offering you any extra protection? because that booster does not seem to be offering a whole lot of protection against becoming infected with the GA5. But for for people who are at risk, it's going to give you, uh, if you do become infected, it's going to give you a more mild illness, protect you against hospitalization. So when you look at the hospital numbers reflecting against what the vaccine is doing, uh, the vaccine or prior infection is doing well to keep people out of the hospital. Um, but as far as preventing you from getting infected, if you do get exposed, that's where it's not doing so well. So does a healthy, you know, 30 or 40 year old need a fourth dose? Uh, that's where that eligibility comes in. Will the uh, shots, the vaccinations be tailored uh, fairly quickly then to, uh, you know, be tailored to these new variants, um, hopefully in the near future? The answer is yes, but it's not quick. And so they're, they're doing testing on it uh, to see if it's going to protect against infection. Uh, so maybe in a few months it'll be around. I don't know if it'll be too late by then. Yeah, already um, changed. But, but the new versions that are coming out are going to be tailored to uh, the BA5, uh, BA4 type of variants, the ones that are bypassing the immunity. Um, and the question is going to be, are they going to protect you against infection any better uh, than what's already out there. And, and that's the question I, I haven't seen answered yet. So not likely before the, the start of the new school year, for instance. Right. I think um, I don't think I would see that before the, the new school year. And uh, this 
current wave. I don't think we've hit the peak just yet. Yes. Uh, the positivity rate uh, of the tests that are being performed in labs keeps going up. We haven't hit uh, the peak that we've hit on prior peaks yet. Uh, so I think we're not over with this wave yet. And that assembly line of therapies or vaccines, six months, nine months, 12 months, how quickly do they turn around from laboratory to production? Do you know? Well, well, they have to, the new variant has to be sequenced first. So in this case, BA5 came out, um, say, a few months ago. And so you have to then develop a vaccine against a version of a virus that didn't exist until a few months ago. So kind of keeping up with that escalating uh, warfare on the virus is, is, um, is the challenge. And so I think uh, they're still doing the testing now. Um, and whether when it gets approved is probably a few months, but eventually they're going to have to speed this up if these kind of new immune evading uh, variants keep coming out. How are you doing on therapies? By the way, our guest is Dr. James Castile, or Cameron County Health Authority. Therapies, uh, uh, Paxlovid, for example, we have a good stock of that at pharmacies? Yeah, I have not heard about any sort of shortages in Paxlovid. Um, you know, definitely uh, for those who are at risk, uh, you know, definitely it, it helps uh, ease their symptoms. There's a risk of something called Paxlovid rebound, which may be very, very few percentage of people will, uh, you know, get better and then get their symptoms back and maybe even become infectious again. Yeah. Uh, you know, five days later, the, the monoclonal antibodies uh, are available also. Uh, those come in and out of stock. They're getting certainly used up at a pretty good rate right now, but um, last I heard, they're coming in. Um, so uh, the two big therapies out there are the Paxlovid and the yeah. monoclonal antibodies. No, I have, I have a f- a friends and family, West Texas, Houston area, folks out of town that swear by the Paxlovid. They caught it early. Uh, they started swallowing those pills, and, man, almost instantaneously um, they reported uh, they were on their way back. These are folks that are advanced in age and have health issues. So it seems like Paxlovid is, is a pretty good, if you can get it, again, you need to be older than 50, or have a health issue like diabetes or heart issues, things things like that, right? Exactly. You know, but the the, the eligibility is pretty broad. But um, you know, listening to what the experts are saying as they're uh, watching the data on this one, it's usually going to be uh, people with significant risk factors. And if they're not doing better after a few days already, um, that drug basically shuts down the viral replication. Uh, it it stops the virus from being able to replicate. And it, it makes you feel better really quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the question is, did your immune system have enough time to learn okay. uh, the virus? But right. uh, it looks it looks very well. It does, it's doing a great job. Yes, I sir. people out of the hospital, that's for sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Thank you, Dr. James. Dr. James Castile, Cameron County Health Authority. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.
You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Focus on the RGV economy. This time, let's take a look at the banks and see how much cash we got stacked inside those banks right now. Sebi Haddad is one of our commissioners for the city of McAllen. He's also with Lone Star National Bank. Commissioner, welcome back to the program. I know you took a look at that regional report on bank deposits. So what can you tell me? What's the trend, Commissioner? Yeah, I mean, the bank deposits are still high across all banks. Uh, I think that's why you see what you call kind of the borrowing rates have gone up significantly. But you really don't see the banks really trying to pay out too much, right, on deposits. You don't see CD rates climbing uh, at the same pace. You don't see the, the money market accounts climbing at the same pace. Yeah. And that's really because banks necessarily don't need cash. Uh, but, you know, we do expect those rates to rise. They have doubled, but, you know, still probably not generating the type of return most people are looking for. Because there's so much cash out there, all this stimulus spending and still trickling this way, likely to trickle this way for a long time for all different types of institutions and, and construction projects. Do you see uh, that rate where you keep you know, money in the bank? Do you see that going up anytime soon, 24, 36 months? No, definitely. I think even sooner. Um, you know, the banks are trying to hold back and not raise uh, that rate too quickly, um, you know, because it obviously affects their balance sheet as they have to pay out more. Uh, but there's no doubt that despite whether they need the money or not, just the competitive and natural market pressure is going to force them to raise it. So you'll see all the banks start to trickle up. You're going to start to see what we used to see, which is a lot of the uh, teaser advertisements on uh, CD rates and, you know, savings account rates, because now they're going to they're definitely going to get in the round where they have, they're more attractive than they've been in the last couple of years. Sebi Haddad is uh, one of our city commissioners, also with Lone Star National Bank. We're looking at bank deposits in the region. So now that we've seen a, a good chunk of that, the post-infusion, COVID-infusion cash at, at banks, where do we stand, Commissioner? What, what are some of the numbers you see for the region? Well, as of right now, I mean, we've got about just under almost $14 billion throughout the Hid- Hidalgo County region, Okay. Um, and there's another subset over in Cameron County. Lone Star National Bank holds about 15% of that market share, uh, you know, really, good, which is great because it shows how much of the local economy that uh, Lone Star National Bank actually serves, and that's exceeding the big banks, BBVA, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, who typically hold anywhere in the range of about, ranging from 6% to about the 9% mark. Uh, so, you know, we're able to see a lot of the activity and we're able to see a lot of the uh, trends that seem to follow. And, you know, people still have what we call surge deposits. There's still an excess amount of deposits based on sort of all the money that was pumped into the economy and all the economic activity uh, to show that there's not going to be the down. If there is a downturn or a slight recession, uh it's not going to be any kind of crash. We might just see a slowdown of things. The $14 billion in the region right now at, at Hidalgo County, just Hidalgo County banks. Uh, where, what, how do you compare that number to this time last year, Sabi? Where were we this time last year? Do you know? I want to say I did see the report from the year prior, um, but based on some of the, just off the top of my head, some of the numbers that I've seen, it's definitely probably a, cu- a couple billion up. Okay. Uh, there's no doubt that it's a it's an elevated figure year over year. Um, 
you know, there's a lot more people with jobs this this time around. There's uh, a, a lot of wage increases and and people who not only worked in the same job but got raises, and we just see a significant amount of economic activity. So, a lot of the deposits, which are also made up by commercial accounts, are seeing a lot of in and out activity. You see a lot of sale of real estate. You see a lot of um, new development, and all that results eventually in cash in some kind of account somewhere. Seppi Haddad with Lone Star National Bank, also one of our city commissioners. We're looking at bank deposits for the area. Would you describe the majority of the, uh, let's say, the $14 billion in the bank right now at Hidalgo County? Uh, again, this is for all banks. We're looking at the bank deposit uh, reports for Hidalgo County, most recent one. Would you say the majority of that is funding that comes down from Fed, from state, from agencies? Is the majority of that still mostly government money that's in the bank? No, I think these are these are core deposits. So these reports are primarily core deposits, which sometimes leaves out uh, public funds and other amounts. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, you've got a sig- significant amount of cash really within consumer accounts. So this is accounts. this reflects activity in the truly in the private sector then, right? Companies and individuals putting that money in the bank. Yes. Okay, good. So if you were to stack on top of that the government money, do you double the figure then? Ooh, Triple yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean public funds make up a tremendous amount of uh of bank deposits locally. So I don't think it would quite double. Uh, can't make up the ma- the masses to that to that extent, mm-hmm. uh, but probably definitely jumps up by about thirty percent. You know, one number I would love to see sometime in the future if it happens. When and if it happens, and got a lot of folks really excited in Cameron County, Sebi, that it's likely going to happen soon. Maybe some LNG node investment and the infusion of likely hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars to build that node at the port in Brownsville. Man, we're going to see a big. We likely would see a big infusion of private sector cash in Cameron County when and if that happens. Likely in the near future, when when they announce the final investment decision, that that would probably tilt the you know private versus government number, especially in Cameron yeah, County. Yeah, de- definitely, definitely likely could. Yeah. Cameron County, as far as their report, they're reporting about six point two billion in cash for that for that region. In all but numbers. A little less than half of Hidalgo. Okay, and all those numbers are, again, a little bit north of this time last year as far as the bank deposit. Oh, definitely north, yeah. For the region. All right. Commissioner, appreciate the time, and we'll call you again for other economic news. That's Sebi Haddad, uh, one of our commissioners from McAllen. He's with Lone Star National Bank. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. 
It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.